Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and join me on the pod this week are Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacists. Helena and Rob are busy oiling the greasy wheels of pharmacy publishing, so won't be joining us this week. So before we do good week, bad week, the fuel crisis has dominated the headlines this week and has hit the medicine supply chain in a big way. Now, Neil and Arthur, you've both been following this story. Neil, what have the wholesalers been saying? Well, uh, it's been, um, as you say, an absolute nightmare um, for everyone, really, not just uh, pharmacists, but um, certainly our our readers have um, been taken to Twitter to well, vent their spleen really, and um, we did. We did contact the Healthcare Distribution Association. Um, Martin Saw, the executive director, who I'm sure our readers are, are familiar with, and um, he told me um, that it's all about access to fuel this week. Um, but they have enough drivers; their members have enough drivers. But in the short term, uh, he added, um, somewhat, uh, you know, precariously. I mean, it's it, it's. It's an absolute nightmare. Um, the HDA released an official statement, uh, um, which we published in our in our story this week, which in which they say that individual medicines wholesale distribution companies have what they describe as ongoing business continuity plans um, to provide resilience to ensure that the medicines are main, you know, delivered to pharmacies and hospitals and doctors across the country. Um, but they added that these arrangements are currently being severely tested um, because fuel supplies are not available as they would like from normal sources. Uh, now, this all sound, I mean, this is n- not over yet, uh, despite Boris Johnson's uh, somewhat, um, you know, well, Boris being typically Boris, really, you know, papering over the cracks. Uh, it, it, this is going to cause problems. It is causing huge problems, and it, and it, and it is set to cause problems um, moving forward. I think we heard there was a story, I think it was uh, on BBC Today, that, um, you know, fuel supplies from petrol stations is, are not getting any better um and they're set to this problem is set to continue for for quite a few days and this is all very depressing stuff and but as far as pharmacy is concerned of course it's alarming stuff um uh so it's it's ongoing the, the hda did say that they're in urgent talks with the government uh over this specific issue that nothing we haven't heard anything um as a result of those talks with the government i'm sure hda and we're on to the hda uh, we'll, we'll find out exactly how those talks are going and what and what's come of come from those talks in the next couple of few days um, but um, the fuel shortages is causing absolute chaos and continues to do so. Yeah, those uh, those contingency plans are uh, coming under a lot of stress, aren't they? Um, that that's that's for sure. Um, I, lot, there are reports on social media, aren't there? Quite a few reports of of missing deliveries at pharmacies. Um, Arthur, what what's your sense of the scale of the crisis? Well, it's hard to know uh, really the scale of the crisis in terms of pharmacies not getting uh, deliveries on time. Like you, I've seen sort of social media reports. Um, I've seen a few based in the east of the country in in, uh, in Norfolk um, and and places around around that region. Um, and I've seen a few reports of uh, centering on Alliance Healthcare, which um, r- rather than more so than AAH, which sort of uh, corroborates the reports that I got when I approached the wholesalers earlier in the in the week. AAH were um, were adamant that there was no uh, fuel difficulties because they don't rely on on four courts. Um, so the sort of consumer 
panic or or whatever it is that's going on isn't isn't uh, affecting them. The, uh, the, the, they did say the the, the, the driver shortages are, are are a factor for them. Uh, whereas Alliance, the the statement that I got back from them was a bit more. Um, we're monitoring the situation a bit a bit more vague. I would I, I would say. So, um, I mean, there are reports of uh, pharmacies not. Uh, not not getting their deliveries on time, which is of course very worrying. Um, but I have tried, but I have not been able to ascertain like how how big of a uh, big or how widespread the problem is. Well, uh, as as Neil said, this problem uh, is 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 not getting any better. I don't think so. It's going to be with us for a while, and we will keep we'll keep tabs on that. Uh, there's certainly no fuel around where the garage is where I live. Um, they've been out for about a week, so um, we're a long way short of, of of exiting this crisis. We'll we'll keep tabs on it. Um, it's very worrying. All right, with that out of the way, let let's go on to our usual good week, bad week then. And um, Neil, do do you want to start? Who's had a, a good week or a bad week for you? Well, I've gone for the General Pharmaceutical Council. It's been a good week for for them. Uh, because they've launched an eight-week consultation on proposals that would make it easier and quicker for pharmacists to train to become independent prescribers. So we've all we had plenty of discussions about independent prescribing and, and just how important uh, that role is and, and will continue to be over the years, and particularly with the problem of over, over-prescribing, unnecessary prescribing. Um, who better to, to address that than independent prescribers? Um, now, if these plans are rushed through, uh, pushed through, should I say, um, Pharmacists will no longer need to have two years' experience in, in clinical practice before enrolling on a course. Uh, and it was just interesting. I, I kind of noticed uh, just by comparison in looking at other um, healthcare sectors and how they've uh, uh, um, confronted this the IP prescribing course uh, area, this area, the nursing and midwifery councils standards in, in comparison. Well, they, you know, they've they've never um, determined. Um, that you know somebody going on to a prescribing course um, is, is judged by the amount of time that they've been on on the register. That's never been the case uh, with them. Uh, they 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 determine that by by an individual's skills and experience, and I think that's a, a sensible way to sort of um, a, a, a sensible road to go down. And and it seems that the GPHC are finally um, going in kind of that direction. Um, they want to remove the requirement for pharmacists to have relevant experience in a specific clinical or therapeutic area. Um, but they do say that anyone who wants to go on a course has to set out what area of study they want that they want to study as part of the course, what clinical and therapeutic area they want to, to go into, which you might say is, is fair enough. But they're removing these these kind of, I wouldn't say barriers, but they're removing these stipulations that are slowing down um, that route into independent prescribing. And, and I think the one thing that we'd all like to see is, is more pharmacists getting easier and quicker access to it. So this, this seems to address that. Um, and, of course, the survey ends on November the 23rd. So uh, good week for the General Pharmaceutical Council. Yeah, good good shout, Neil. And uh, people uh, must respond to that consultation. I mean, it, it makes a load of sense, doesn't it? Um, this is the regulator just recognising the, the direction of travel um, of the profession. And, of course... The um, in, uh, the initial education and tra- training of pharmacists, the new standards and independent prescribing is is very much part of those. But but those um, pharmacists are only be, going to be coming into the workforce 
in 2025, 26, I think. So what this does is make it easier and quicker for existing um, pharmacists on the register to become independent prescribers. That has to be a good thing. Um, Albeit, I guess the health service needs to work out what all these independent prescribers are are going to be doing when the time comes. Um, Because commissioning these these prescribers is the issue at the moment. Um, Arthur, what did did you think of this? Yeah, well, it sort of uh, links into your last point, Richard. Um, It'll be interesting to see how from 2025 onwards how what the picture is like in different parts of the uk in terms of the skills actually being deployed and what um sort of foundations are going to be laid over the next couple of years to um to to so that these skills sort of ha- have a home that, that where they can sort of usefully be, be 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 deployed i spoke uh recently to um Alison Strath, uh, Scotland's new, well, newly confirmed permanent uh, chief pharmaceutical officer. And she was confident that because of the uh, pharmacy first service in Scotland, where, uh, you know, prescribing is is, is central to it, there will be sort of strong foundations and um, it won't be as much of a there won't be as much of a, a question mark hanging over, you know, what are pharmacists actually going to be be doing with, with, with their prescribing qualifications as as in England, where I think I think there are still sort of uh questions raised raised about that. Yeah, very good point, Arthur. That that you know, that pharmacy first model in Scotland could be the a, a very useful model, you know, elsewhere in the in the United Kingdom, that's for sure Scotland, you know, uh, significantly ahead of um, colleagues in, in England with prescribing. Same goes for the situation in, in Wales. Um, Neil, one a final word for you on this. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Arthur mentioned Scotland. I mean, they they tend to be ahead of the game uh, community pharmacy-wise, and I think probably they're ahead of the game here with independent prescribing. They probably, they've probably worked out how IPs will actually work in practice um, at ground level with, with general practice. And I've noticed a few comments on, on Twitter, um, one in particular, uh, in which it was it was suggested that in GP land, there's still a lot of work to be done on, on actually addressing how pharmacists, pharmacist IPs will actually be using their skill, this unique skill set to actually contribute to this, the wider, wider health, wider healthcare. You, the comment was, you know, you can train as many um, independent prescribers as you like, um, but in actuality, it's, it's how you put it into practice that really makes the difference. And, and it was suggested that maybe there should be a, another consultation on, on actual practice rather than just, you know, the training, and uh, which is obviously important. But how, how this will actually um, play out in practice, that's really important. Yeah, but very important, vitally important. It's got to be plugged into the system, isn't it? I mean, I think there are about, I might be wrong, this is from memory, 2,000 independent prescribers kind of annotated on the on the register at the moment, at the moment, how many are actually using that qualification? Um, training for training's sake uh, is is pretty pointless, has to be plugged into the service properly um, in order for, for patients to benefit. So anyway, yeah, good week for the GPHC. And uh, Arthur then, um, who's had a good week uh, for you or a bad week? Thank you, Richard. Uh, I'm actually going to do a Pharmacy Magazine podcast blast from the past and do a good week and a bad week. Um, I'll try to keep keep them both sort of 
uh, brief and to the point. Okay. Uh, first one is bad week, bad week for whistleblowing in the pharmacy sector. Um, the annual whistleblowing report from all of the healthcare professional regulators came out uh, this week. And it shows that in the period uh, April 1st, 2020 to, to the end of March this year, the GPAC received just five whistleblowing dis- disclosures, which is less than a quarter of the 22 it received in the previous reporting period. And um, two cases were investigated and concluded with no further action. Um, one case led to a registrant, uh, rec- or, or actually could have been a premises, it's not made clear, receiving guidance from the GPAC's education department. And there are two still under review. Um, so it was a big uh, I think it's the first year since uh, since uh, mandatory whistleblowing reporting was introduced that there's been a drop in in the reports received by the GPHC. So just wonder sort of what factors are, are at play there. Possibly it was just a Germanic year last year that that um, it wasn't a priority and uh, sort of fell by the wayside. But you would hope that with things coming back to normal, because it, I mean it is very important that um, if 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 people see something in their workplace that's that's um, that they're concerned about or that doesn't look right, it, it is it is important that 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 they raise those concerns with the appropriate uh, body. Um, so that's my bad week. Uh, my good week is it just got announced yesterday that NHS England is uh, that that pharmacy staff. Uh, all pharmacy staff, including locums, uh, all primary care staff are going to get free NHS flu jabs uh, uh, after NHS England. Uh, I should stress that this is England. NHS England secured uh, funding for this. Of course, this follows sort of a, a lengthy campaign um, from RPS and other bodies who who raised really how sort of unfair and really ab- absurd it, it it was that 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 pharmacy teams weren't eligible. Um, but it's uh, but 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 they they are eligible now, as are sort of frontline staff in dental surgeries, ophthalmic services, um, all 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 across primary care, and um, contractors will also be able to claim a payment for any staff who've been vaccinated privately up up until now. So um, that's a a, po- a positive note to end my my little rant. Yeah, no, that's really really positive, really good news. The right decision has been been made there um just just quickly arthur before uh we move on did you were there any going back to whistleblowing any were there any suggestions from the gpac why the number of reports were down uh none in the report no um i would assume that it was uh, that that it was a case of things for of it sort of not being viewed as a priority because of everything that that was going on last year yeah yeah that that makes sense Neil you wanted to come in yeah it's interesting um some of the uh, stats that Arthur's kind of um, mentioned there and I, I just wonder whether or not people are still pharmacists are still perhaps the independents are still um wary perhaps a little bit um nervous about sort of reporting anything that goes wrong particularly if it happens in their own pharmacy um to the GPHC I know the GPHC relaxed their approach to this, a bit more of a softened approach in order to encourage, you know, to, to kind of uh, um, reduce that atmosphere of um, fear, if you like, that, you know, that did exist for many years uh, previously. The pharmacists were never reporting these things because 
they get in trouble, you know. And I, I just wonder if if pharmacists still feel that way. I don't know. Maybe the GPHC might need to look at its approach again. I don't know. Um, and as far as the multiples are concerned, you know, we've heard that quite a few, quite a long time now that things don't always go run smoothly at multiples and things do go wrong and we've had, we've had whistleblowers. But um, I just wonder if, again, employees at multiples are feeling a bit nervous about, you know, coming forward and disclosing some of this stuff, again, for fear of for fear of um, the, the ramifications, because we've had people come to us with stories and uh, anonymously and they don't want to identify themselves to us because of the, just out of pure, pure fear, really. So I, I just wonder if that fear factor still exists, that's all. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point, Neil. I'm I, I'm sure it I'm sure it does. I think yeah, you're right. The probably the GPHC does need to to look at its messaging on this um, and its its advice and support. But uh, as far as this report is concerned, I think I'd go along with with what Arthur's saying. It was a uh, an exceptional year, and we'll keep a keep an eye on what the the figures are for the reports um, next year when hopefully things have returned uh, to normal. So, as listeners to the pod will know, we are supporting Pharmacist Support's Act Now Wellbeing campaign, which is running throughout the month. Each week, the campaign focuses on one of the five ways to well-being, and the theme for the coming week is the act of giving. Here's how you can get involved. Hi, everyone. It's Kate Westbrook here, Marketing and Communications Manager at the Professions Charity Pharmacist Support. On World Pharmacist Day, the 25th of September, the charity kicked off our Act Now campaign, a five-week-long campaign that encourages those across our pharmacy family to allow time for wellbeing, to consider the needs of their colleagues and to take action. Each week, we're focusing on one of the well-established five ways to wellbeing, which are be active, give, take notice, keep learning and connect. Starting tomorrow, we'll be looking at why the act of giving is so important for our mental health and well-being. Seeing yourself and your happiness linked to the wider community can be incredibly rewarding and creates connections with people around you. 2021 marks the 25th anniversary of our Listening Friends Peer Support Service and tying in with this week's theme, we're looking to recruit volunteers. Our Listening Friends Service offers callers an opportunity to speak in confidence and anonymously to one of our trained volunteer pharmacists about the stresses or pressures working in or studying pharmacy may be causing them. You can find further details on the scheme, what's involved and the training provided, along with an application form on our site. Here at the charity, we know just how challenging these past 18 months have been for pharmacy teams up and down the country when you've been there to support the people in your communities. Now it's time to take stock and to prioritise your own well-being. And we encourage you all to join us and sign up to the Act Now campaign today. Once signed up, you'll receive information and links to our latest well-being resources and new well-being learning platform. You'll find out about our weekly Science Behind Wellbeing panel chats, our latest volunteer opportunities and much, much more. Visit pharmacistsupport.org today to get involved. Kate Westbrook there, pharmacist support looking for volunteers for the wonderful Listening Friends Scheme, 25 years old this year, which does such vital work. To find out more, go on to the Pharmacist Support website or click in the link in our show notes uh, for the podcast. Um, next, I'd like to give a quick mention to all our listeners who have taken the trouble to get in touch with us with their own views and opinions on some of our 
weekly discussion topics. Last week, we talked about social prescribing and pharmacy's role in cancer prevention, and we asked, should the sector be doing more? Well, uh, as is normally the case, they are in Wales, uh, as Alid Roberts from Well Pharmacy in Gilfachgoch and Community Pharmacy Wales told us. So in Wales, improvements in how community pharmacy is integrated into primary care clusters is changing how we can contribute to patient care. So some clusters, such as the Rhonda cluster, have direct referral pathways from community pharmacy into social prescribing initiatives. This uh, can help support patients' social, emotional and practical needs and reduce the need for medical intervention. Also, in order to improve uptake of bowel cancer screening and aid early diagnosis in Wales, Bowel Cancer UK have developed some free training for pharmacy teams to improve the knowledge of the disease and allow for better conversations with patients. Training is available to all community pharmacy staff across Wales and can be accessed on the Bowel Cancer UK website. Details of this have gone out to all community pharmacies across Wales via their cluster leads and via CPW. Thank you, Alid. Really good points there. And to everyone, um, all our listeners, keep the conversation going. You can send in your thoughts via our social media feeds or via our emails, contact details all on our websites and on the show notes to this pod. So we've just got time for a a quick good week from me before we close. Um, And I'm going to go for good week for pharmacy exhibitions and shows because they're back and it's absolutely great. Uh, Arthur and I were at the Clinical Pharmacy Congress uh, last week. It was packed. Uh, People were just pleased to be there catch up with their colleagues and update their learning. But it's the social side that we've all missed, isn't it? Um, And it bodes really well for the pharmacy show in a couple of weeks. We'll be there and um, we hope to see you there too. And that brings us to the end of this week's pod. My thanks to Neil and to Arthur. The pod is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and from all your usual download sites. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. Um, Just can I draw your attention before we close to a new webcast that went live this week. It's available on demand on the Pharmacy Magazine website, and it's about optimising patient outcomes using topical pain relief in association with Boltrol. So look out for that on the PM site. But from now, from all of us for this week, thanks very much for listening.